everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. I am your host, Bryce Paul. And uh, today, not joined by my buddy Pizza Mind. He is at uh, Permissionless. He is hitting the ground running over there, trying to find all sorts of fun new crypto projects, seeing if you could weather the bear market uh, just by rolling up his sleeves and doing some research. So today I am joined uh, by an awesome guest, uh, Pat Duffy, who is a co-founder of The Giving Block, which is probably the largest crypto-related philanthropic effort uh, that definitely I've heard of, but probably in the industry. So we're going to dive into some details. We're going to you know, have a ton of fun. Uh, but first off, Pat, welcome to the Crypto 101 podcast. How you doing? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Very, uh, very pleased to dive into everything that you've been building. Um, and, and I saw that uh, I, I think it was the 2021 list or the 2022 list, um, Forbes 30 under 30, the impact sector. Uh, your name was was kind of there at the top of the list. That, that's pretty cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we are a very big deal now. We also made the, uh, <laughs> the, the Cointelegraph 100 most influential people in crypto, which we're actually like a lot more pumped on. Even though a lot of people don't like know us by name, so like that was more exciting, probably with the the crypto homies. No, that's really cool. It's it's always good to to kind of get recognition. You know, you've been building this since 2018, um, and, and so we're gonna we're gonna kind of dive into to what the giving block is uh, and why you're passionate about um, you know basically you know philanthropic uh, efforts. But before we before we dive into that, let's get a high level just about your background and, and how you kind of found yourself here uh, in the crypto industry. Yeah, I, I fell into like crypto and nonprofits kind of at the same time. It was just kind of a, a perfect confluence of events. But I was originally, I was a consultant for the farm industry when I first came out of school. Like that was my first gig that I got hired for. And then like pretty much immediately opioid crisis broke out and they were like, you want to work on that? And I was like, I would much prefer to not work on the opioid crisis from like the farm industry <laughs> side. Um <laughs> So it was like right out of school, first job. And I was like, ah, this is not ideal. So looking around for, for ways to kind of make a, a lateral move out. And then another pharma consultant who was trying to leave the industry uh, got hired to be the CEO of a nonprofit and was like, hey, do you want to come do this with me? Because you're working on projects together because I've never run a nonprofit before. And I was like, that sounds cool. So just like a, a guy I'd worked with before trying to figure out the nonprofit industry. And then literally same year, my buddy, now co-founder, Alex Wilson, was like starting to trade crypto and just like kept bringing it up at parties in like a very annoying, but kind of interesting way. Guilty, guilty. <laughs> yeah. So this is like, yeah, 2017 crypto guy energy, yeah. like the meme where it's like yelling <laughs> in the girl's ear at the club. Um, but like a lot of interesting stuff. He was just like explaining the the white paper and all the the classics. And Dude, he just started reading up on it. The, the Fed yeah, can't inflate it. it. <laughs> it's called the double spend problem. You know, it was like very like that kind of vibe. Um, so got into it. And then like I got in the end of 2017. He got in a little earlier. So like the minute I started buying it, it just started going up mm. all the time. Every move I made, I thought was brilliant. I was like, oh, I'll buy Litecoin because people don't know it's divisible. And like, this is going to be a sick move as it started. And then of course, like that crushed for a little bit. I was like, I'm sick of trading crypto. Went all in right at the... Uh, yeah, everyone's a genius ETH in a bull market, like, right? <laughs> yeah, I went all in, but I was like just dipping toes in until ETH was at like 1300 bucks. And then I was like, now I'm going to put all my money in and wrote it down to like 88 bucks a unit. But during that period, <laughs> like during the hype period, like we saw the Pineapple Fund, we saw um, 
Ashton Kutcher donating crypto on LM. We saw 50 million go to this, like 17 universities pool. It's like hundreds of millions of dollars in crypto getting donated. And I was like, we 100% need my nonprofit accepting crypto donations. And just immediately figured out like two problems. One, all the nonprofits we talked to were taking it. We're like, this sucks. Like, this is the worst thing we've ever done. And we hate it. Um, so what like, what was the worst like, thing that you'd ever done? What did you hate? Yeah, accepting crypto. So they'd be like, there, there was one person who was just like walking around with crypto in a hardware wallet because like donors said like, that's where you need to keep it. And they were just like rattled by that. So they just had it in their pocket all the time or like riding around on subways in New York with like a million dollars sitting in like a flash drive. And they were like, I'm freaking out. Like, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah. And then other nonprofits were just like taking it and trying to like sell it every Friday was one of the nonprofits we talked to where they're just sitting with a cup of coffee for two hours and like trying to learn how to read charts. We were just like, all of this seems brutal and necessary. And then like for the ones that were taking crypto through just like automated processors, there was no support system for nonprofits. They were like asking BitPay, like, how do we update our gift acceptance policy? And then BitPay support was like, get out of here. <laughs> like that's, hmm. that's not a thing that we work on. And then similar with donors, some donors were just, you know, sending cryptos that were like tokens to dynamic wallet addresses and like setting them on fire. So we just, the technical piece was an issue and we knew there needs to be like a, a giving specific intersection. So like donors and nonprofits had a, a support system and a you know technology that automated what they needed. But the bigger thing was like no one was fundraising it, which we thought was crazy. Like every nonprofit who had crypto acceptance going on, some random person approached them, like the Pineapple Fund. They just set it up in some random way. They took a one-time gift and they never even added it to their website. So it's just like we knew people were trying to find nonprofits who would take it. And they just there was no place to find them. And we knew nonprofits who had like a tool, but they weren't fundraising it at all. It was just like it's a lot of money over here and a ton of nonprofits. Like there's no connected tissue here. So in terms of like a crowdfunding platform, a giving pledge, fundraisers, giving days, like none of this stuff was there. There were no like CSR programs at the companies. So we wanted to like have a technical platform, but like really focus on some of that bridge building, which was like ended up being our big differentiator. And that's kind of how the, the company came to be. Wow. So it really seems like, um, you know, there was a clear problem, right? There, there was not a, the, the plumbing, the technological infrastructure to get, you know, rich people who wanted to donate, get that money into the hands of nonprofits who want to, um, you know, use that money, but they want to do it, you know, in a secure way. And so there was this kind of divide, if you will. And it sounds like the giving block, uh, you know, kind of was uh, at the, you know, formed at the perfect time with both the, the technical, technical expertise in order to get that connective tissue uh, between, you know, the two parties, uh, as well as, you know, the passion in the heart for building this sort of platform. Um, does that sound right? Yeah. I mean, that, that was a big part of it. We just, you know, met with a bunch of nonprofits who were doing awesome stuff. I just mm -hmm. realized like they were either wasting a ton of time on it, or I just kind of turned the lights off after getting a big gift. It's just like, you guys should be actively doing stuff in this sector. And then the same thing with people in the crypto space, they were just like, if I want to do like like these days, an NFT fundraiser, it's like, where do I go for that? Or it's like, if I want to like dollar cost average my donations, or they're like advisors, I can talk about like giving crypto mm -hmm. specifically, like whatever it might be, everything wrapping around the technical solution ended up being, you know, 90% of the work we do. Wow. And could you tell us a little bit about um, maybe some of the, uh, you know, the nonprofits that you guys work with? Can any nonprofit kind of leverage your platform um, and then, you know, kind of on the other side, can, can any normal person leverage your platform or do you have to be qualified or something? Yeah. So we had to like, 
there's kind of two ways you can go as a platform when you want to work with the, the nonprofits and when you want to work with the donors. You can either be like a donor product and not work with the nonprofit specifically. There's lots of platforms out there where like a donor can just like go to a platform, kind of like a, a DAF account, right? Like if you want to like a Fidelity charitable, like we, we work with a lot of DAFs and everything's made for the donor. Like donor goes in, donor makes the account, they throw money into a pool and then they just, you know, pick charities they want to send it to. So, so charities aren't fundraising or partnering in, in those sorts of systems. They're also not like actively involved in the process. So nonprofit brands aren't kind of in the, the crypto ecosystem or stocks, whatever else you're giving through a DAF. Mm. Um, they're just kind of behind closed doors recipients after a kind of backend process. We wanted to go in a, another direction. We're like, we wanted nonprofits to fundraise, right? To have a active pillar, like create like crypto into a revenue channel for their nonprofit that it could go out and get kind of year over year. So we ended up doing with a subscription model. And that's like the basis of what we do. So not any nonprofit can use our tools. Any nonprofits can use like our support more or less. Like we have nonprofits in our support engine all the time that have just like questions about basic stuff they're doing. They'll have like a wallet open somewhere and we're like, don't, don't do that. But like in terms of using our, our team and fundraising, like we just made the choice to have like a subscription model. So nonprofits would have to like pay an annual subscription to work with us. And then that aligns us to pretty much be responsible to each nonprofit. So like for donors, I know it can be confusing. It's just like, wouldn't it be better if it was free? The issue with free platforms is like, you don't have an incentive to help individual nonprofits. Like a free platform does just as well if one nonprofit gets all the money. So you end up just like really highlighting a handful of really big ones and all the donation volume goes there. And you can just kind of have a, a handful of big picture relationships. If you're trying to get a lot of smaller, mid-sized nonprofits to fundraise effectively, you just can't like make money doing that and then build out a team to focus on that unless you have a subscription model. It's, it, it's a nonprofit. So it, it is tough to make money, I suppose. It's um, brutal. Yeah. yeah it's, I, it's really, I've been, yeah. I've always been so you know, kind of like, I mean, I, I guess you're the perfect person to ask, but like, literally, I'm just confused. Like, how do nonprofits run if they can't make money and, and all this is it just volunteer hours? This is where it's weird. It depends on what nonprofits <laughs> you like also. So like part of this, I'm sure it comes down to philosophy. It's like why you end up building nonprofit services companies the mm -hmm. way that they are it comes down to kind of the way I think founders interface with nonprofits. Some people like zero overhead, kind of those, uh, you know, if I give you a dollar, I want hundred percent of the dollar to end up becoming a sandwich in like a kid's hand. Yeah. The issue with that is then like, no one's at a desk. Do you know what I mean? Like no right. one's trying to solve logistical problems in that community or create like sustainable models where these folks can like support themselves. It's more just like a bag of rice goes onto a car and drives in somewhere and dumps it off. It's like, that's the only way you can have no overhead. I prefer nonprofits that like pay people to be strategic and solve problems. So like some of my favorite nonprofits have like high paid executives and then like really sophisticated teams. They, they pull people out of the for-profit sector. They pay them a bunch because they're like high powered individuals. They work very long weeks instead of like the classic nonprofit half day mm -hmm. type thing. And I like supporting that sort of work. So nonprofit services companies can be very similar. Like there are free crypto fundraising uh, tools, not, not fundraising, but like free crypto acceptance tools out there, which are really great for like really small nonprofits who just don't have the resources to actively fundraise, but then nonprofits get to a point at some point to your point, like mm -hmm. how do they actually go and get donations? They can't be specialists at everything. So when everything is free in the nonprofit sector, like they don't get any tools or any innovation, there's no teams fully specialized to solve problems for them. 
So you need an economics model in like nonprofit services where people can make money solving problems on behalf of charities. Otherwise, the charities have this collection of free tools, quote unquote, that they need to develop systems internally for like, how do I leverage this? How do I get in front of this community? How do I do like crypto donor engagement, stewardship? What are best practices? How do I engage with teams who do X, Y, and Z? So like we are the, the complementary piece to that. So like we out of the 1600 charities on our platform, I think we have like a little over 300 who have come right. to us from like those free solutions, right? Where they're eventually like, we would like to increase the amount of crypto that we're fundraising. The nonprofit ends up with more money in their pocket at the end of the year. And then we can make money helping those nonprofits, which helps us build a team that can then go out and, you know, recruit more nonprofits to drive revenue into. Are there um, like a lot of, and I'm kind of, you know, bringing it back to crypto, you know, crypto's open source and like a lot of the, for instance, development on Bitcoin or Ethereum, it's like, you know, it's driven from nonprofit or not-for-profit foundations which maybe I'll ask you what the difference is between nonprofit and not-for-profit because I've heard the two terms maybe imply mm-hmm. something different. But um, are, are there any like, um, you know, big crypto sort of um, nonprofits that are helping fund Bitcoin development and Ethereum development and, you know, open source development? Yeah. I mean, how every foundation behind um, different cryptos for the most part is a nonprofit, right? Like anytime you're talking about this open source type project where teams of people get together and they don't make money developing these projects. Like those are nonprofits who develop the tools out. But like, there's like two things going on in crypto in general. There's like the development of the tech, which oftentimes ends up being like you're saying open source development, even though a lot of those folks obviously end up holding a percentage of their tokens, they make money off of that. Mm -hmm. And then there's the kind of access point into crypto, kind of like the mainstream uh, adoption of crypto that, of, of course, drives up the value of everyone's assets and like grows the size of our community. That's always been for profit. So it, it's very similar in the nonprofit sector. There's certain problems that don't require a for profit model. You know, like if you're doing like a backpack drive and a, a community finds a way to do that in a sustainable way, and like you can solve that problem year over year, you don't really need to start having people make money solving that problem. If, if the number of kids in the community get the right amount of backpacks year over year, uh, but then there's certain problems that are like advanced. If you're trying to like develop a, an irrigation system that works for like the entire continent of Africa, a lot of nonprofits with zero overhead there just have been, you know, spinning their wheels for an extended period of time because like you need more capital incentives to kind of expedite innovation on it. So it's very similar in the like the Bitcoin growth model. Like certain aspects of crypto are open source, but like if you look at the growth of the industry, you'll see like a ton of for-profit companies that were just kind of like poo-pooed in the early days as kind of middlemen who are really responsible for driving. Like, I I don't think you get a Coinbase with twice as many users as Fidelity if they didn't have, you know, a for-profit model. Totally. What do you, um, what do you kind of think like from a technological standpoint, like, you know, I'm thinking of like, Oh, for, you know, NFTs are big. So you could incentivize, you know, people, you could give them uh, an NFT in return for donating or something, or I don't know, are there any like kind of technological things that you think are novel and innovative in your sort of vertical in the crypto space? Definitely. I mean, like NFT fundraisers have been really cool. They're, oh, they're yeah. not I like heard the... Ukraine did something like that or tried to. Yeah. All the time. What, like, yeah, tell is... me, what does this mean? The NFT fundraiser? This is a weird thing too for nonprofits because nonprofits often think this means like minting their own NFTs or accepting NFTs directly and holding them to create like virtual galleries. Like there's stuff that nonprofits can kind of baby step up into. 
but like the first step here, like 95% of donation volume we get from like the NFT community comes in crypto as like proceeds from NFT auctions. So like, that's the main thing people are using NFTs for just like auctions that nonprofits have been doing for forever, where you just like auction things off on behalf of a charity. It's a great way, like artists and, you know, projects that are, that are behind it, the, the actual studios behind a lot of these big NFT productions, like they've been building brands by actually partnering with a bunch of nonprofits and like taking a percentage of either downstream fees on like the, the constant trading that goes on post-sale going to nonprofits or just like doing one of their drops entirely on behalf of a charity. We just did one with, uh, it was water.org, uh, and then, uh, Vayner NFT with, with Gary V. We just oh, did wow. a spaces with them, which was so cool. Um, huge. <laughs> and, and then, yeah, Anheuser-Busch, it was Stella Artois and it was like, oh my uh, God. You're I'm going to drop Artois or something like that. But it, all of those came together on behalf of water.org and like raised, it, I'm going to get it wrong, maybe a little over a million. We do one with Sotheby's. Like the, these NFT oh, wow. fundraisers are really exciting, and a lot of nonprofits are getting told by like NFT junkies, like you have to like get really deep and, and do these very sophisticated things. It's like it's really just kind of people who are already into NFTs are fundraising it, um, or, or rather auctioning them off, and then donating proceeds to charities. And the charities are kind of co-marketing with these projects, and it's helping the projects grow and make more money. And the nonprofits are getting donations out of it. Like in the last few months, that's been like tens of millions of dollars in our platforms donation volume has come just from that little slice of like the, the NFT philanthropy community. So this episode of the crypto one-on-one podcast is sponsored by crypto.com. Now, when Aaron and I took over the crypto one-on-one podcast many years ago, creating a safe exchanges list was really at the top of our to-do list. It was extremely important for us to document the most secure exchanges that we could possibly think of, uh, places where our listeners and followers could buy and sell and trade crypto. And when we officially rolled out that safe exchanges list, crypto.com was at the top of the list. And even more importantly, it's still featured there. Look, crypto.com is the world's fastest growing app where you can buy and sell 250 plus cryptocurrencies at true cost. They have a lot of different products. Their app has crypto earn where you can get passive income and there's no annual fee uh, for their crypto visa cards where you could earn cash back in crypto and bonuses on tokens Uh, and you can also turn crypto to cash in seconds with their visa card which includes hundreds of popular subscription rebates look all you got to do is join the 10 million plus users who are buying and selling cryptocurrencies at crypto.com and look you can use our referral code CRYPTO101 to get $25 in a funding bonus. How's that sound? So again, visit crypto.com and enter in our referral code CRYPTO101. Okay, terms and conditions do apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. 
Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Yeah, I'm, I'm always, you know, curious about, um, you know, how we incentivize giving, right? And, you know, there's got to be a positive feedback loop or some type of reinforcement in order to continue to, to encourage people. Because a lot of times, I mean, in the same way that, you know, people pay their taxes and they feel like, ah, oh, man, like the government's just going to piss it away. Like, why am I even doing it? Right. Or you people, you know, mm. say, oh, I'm giving money to a nonprofit, but it's a black hole who really knows where it goes. So what are kind of some innovative feedback loops that you've seen that, that encourages giving? Yeah. It's in crypto giving, there's one big one. And like, this is the biggest, we, the, the biggest barrier, I guess, to like crypto philanthropy still today. Like this is what we saw back in, in 2018 that made us want to do the company to begin with like mm. that $200 million or so that we saw given in December of 2017 like we did some research on why people were giving away crypto because like hodl culture is so strong, obviously, you know, diamond hands, laser eyes, like don't sell Never crypto sell. or give it away when you could, yeah. When you could give away dollars, like would you ever go spend Bitcoin on like a, a hot dog at a baseball game? It's like, no, you would rather get rid of the hyperinflationary dollars sitting in you your keep pocket. Your BTC as collateral that you could kind of yeah. get a loan against. Exactly. So like, why would you, if you're trying to stack that, like, why would you, donate crypto and the answer is like you if you have appreciated crypto and you're giving when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply and a certain amount of money to a nonprofit, you end up with more crypto when you donate crypto. And it's like a very confusing, it, it's like a tax loophole. So, so pretty much the way it works, the reason people donate stocks and when you hear rich people, they always donate assets from like their company and like Stratus will donate, you know, shares. Um, 
when you hold an appreciated asset, you owe capital gains on it in the US. Like if you have a million dollars in Bitcoin, you bought it really low, but you could owe between two and $300,000 in taxes on that when you paid like state and federal combined. Um, if you have a million bucks in a bank, a million dollars in Bitcoin that's appreciated, and you're trying to give a million dollars to a charity, if you give the million dollars that you have in the bank, charity gets a million bucks, you get a million dollar write off, which means you can take that million bucks and you can leverage that against your income. And you can pay pretty much on a million dollars less in income for that year, mm -hmm. uh, give or take. It depends on other variables. If you give the Bitcoin that is appreciated to that charity, charity gets the full million dollars. Charity doesn't pay taxes. You get the million dollar write-off, but you also don't pay taxes on that Bitcoin. So you just erased two to $300,000 in taxes you would have owed if you use that Bitcoin anywhere in the for-profit sector. And then what people do is they take the million dollars they had in the bank and they buy a million dollars worth of Bitcoin. But now the Bitcoin you're holding is at today's cost basis. You don't owe taxes on it because it hasn't gone up at all. So you end up with Bitcoin as if you've given away the dollars. The charity gets the exact same amount of money. You get the same write-off and you just like evaporate it two to $300,000 in capital gains taxes. But like, that's not a bumper sticker. Do you know what I mean? That, you, this that, this that's, community that's so ingrained to not give up crypto ever and you have to explain to them, it's like, if you give the only time where you can give away crypto or like spend it, quote unquote, and end up with more is if you do this tax arbitrage uh, move that like wealthy people have always been doing with stocks and other property assets. But like, it takes a lot of education because there's usually younger folks who haven't been, you know, working with their trust their entire life. And like, you know, advisors who are telling them to do stuff like this, you got to find all these young people with a ton of crypto. And you got to teach them, which like we in the nonprofits end up spending like a lot of resources and time doing literal tax education as a wow. result of that. Wow. That, I mean, yeah. So I, I definitely uh, should have prefaced that question with, uh, you know, here in Crypto 101, ourselves and our guests are not providing tax advice. So if you guys want to, you know, do any sort of things like that, seek your own counsel. Um, but it sounds like, you know, a, a pretty awesome system. Um, and I think that definitely is is a great incentive uh, to to give, right? I mean, uh, you know, that is, um, you know, people, you know, people love that kind of uh, that kind of behavior, basically, where you could uh, erase capital gains and get, uh, you know, essentially get the money in the hands of the people that you want to see spend it on initiatives that you really support. Um, so interesting stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely learning here. Um, on, on how you could use, uh, you know, crypto philanthropy basically to minimize tax burdens. That's pretty, pretty badass and not something that people really know about, right? It's not common knowledge. It's not super talked about. There's no, you know, big headlines because maybe it's not sexy or maybe it's not mm -hmm. fear inducing like the media loves, but it's like helpful. Yeah, it's exhausting. I mean, I've, I have four to five years now of attempts to explain that as quickly as possible. And like, that's, what I just said to you is the best we've got. That's, like, that's, it's still it's buttoned up. It's good. Oh, <laughs> if what good, you say is all, 100%, I don't feel like it is. <laughs> sounds too good. To I be still true. feel like we have a tough time. Yeah. Explaining it. Like when we, when we try to put stuff on social or whatever for like an Instagram post, it's just like, how do we get this to like 10 more? And it's just so hard to tighten that up effectively. Um, but yeah, that's the main It would be insane to donate crypto. Like, when you could be giving away dollars, like mm -hmm. in any other situation, like, why would you? Do you know right. what I mean? That's what people in crypto always ask. They're like, can I just not give them crypto? I'll just give them money. Like, I'd much rather get rid of the money than the crypto I've been trying to pile up. It's just like, no, no, no. And you have to explain the whole. Yeah. So like, that's the big driver for like their personal incentives. And then of course, yeah. 
The other reason is like crypto adoption, right? If you're going to do something philanthropic, you care about the cause already. Like you're doing the same amount of impacts as if you gave them dollars, but the nonprofit gets way more attention, not just from the crypto community, from people in general, like every press release where our nonprofits say we're taking crypto is their best performing of the year. We've had one nonprofit where it was second because they had like a research breakthrough. Every other nonprofit just goes, we take crypto. It's literally the most exciting thing about them for a while, which is great. <laughs> more eyeballs on them. They get more donors. They get interviews. They get attention. That drives money into the nonprofit. And everyone's talking about crypto in association with like St. Jude as like a client of ours or like American Cancer Society, Save the Children, United Way Worldwide, University of Alabama, University of North Carolina, like these institutions and nonprofits we're working with. It's awesome for crypto. It takes it mainstream. It gets more people in. And it drives money into the charity. So like, that's the other incentive. Other than like, what's good for you? It's so much better for the charity because mm. of the level of excitement it drives and the ability for like publicizing your crypto giving. Yeah, the second order of effects. Yeah. Essentially. What, what outside of, um, you know, things maybe that you're, you're directly involved in on a day-to-day basis, but still, you know, you know, touching the crypto industry, what like exciting trends or developments in this industry or maybe, you know, unfolding, you know, for me personally, uh, I love DeFi. So I'm always kind of keeping apprised of what's the next biggest, you know, AMM model or the next big uh, liquidity pool that's going to launch. What are the kind of things that you think are exciting and worth the, the listener's time? There's so much cool stuff. I'll say it with like a grain of salt because like, I know you have a crypto audience. Every time we do this, anytime we talk about like the cool stuff, we're always just like, Hey, be careful. (laughs) There's a nonprofit on the other end of like every cool and labor intensive idea that like donors love getting them into. So like if you're developing a DAO or whatever, it's like that's time and energy the nonprofit isn't putting into other types of fundraising or into their mission. So I'm always just telling like people who are like really into crypto, just like be careful with the nonprofits, please. Like even if it's a really cool idea, like try to do most of it yourself and then like use it to benefit the nonprofit. Cause we have, you know, nonprofits who Every once in a while, they're like, we're going to create our own crypto. And we're like, probably don't do that. You know what I mean? Probably like, no. Maybe you have a great idea, but like, probably not, right? <laughs> Sometimes they're just like, we need a DAO. And I'm I remember like, I would explain that. Like, yeah. From way back when that kind of went kaput. That was one. Yeah. Or if they, whenever a nonprofit said we need a DAO, I'm like, that's like saying we need a zip line, which sometimes you definitely do, but it's like, you better have like a really, like a really good reason for it. You might need one. And like sometimes need- people need zip lines. Maybe you've got a great business model for the zip line. You're in like in a luxurious area in like the Dominican Republic. You've got like investors. It's just like, okay, it could be a thing, but run me through it. <laughs> DAOs are actually, except when done right. So again, with a grain of salt, you know, we've got uh, a water nonprofit. I won't say which one because it's not like publicized yet. It's like developing a DAO and it's like really nicely put together. Again, mm-hmm. 99% of the time we're like, don't do that. Um, but this team, put, we, we ran through it. We ran it by people who actually do a lot more of that than us. And they were like, this is like a great model and it's smart. So DAOs when put together, super exciting. Um, the downstream fees from NFTs, I think are cool. Like if there are NFT platform folks who are listening to this, I would say, like having a charitable integration with us, like always exciting for us where people who are creating NFTs can just assign downstream fees, not just go to themselves, but they can like split that with nonprofits. And then as these get traded like year over year, the nonprofit can get this dependable downstream revenue after events. Like those are really cool, exciting things because nonprofits need to plan every year to like get the money out the door. They can't like sit on it like a business. So dependable revenue from, from like downstream fees from NFT trading, super exciting. 
And then just like new tokens coming out, mm-hmm. I would say it's like a big one. Like every time we list new tokens in our actual like crypto acceptance widget, each of these communities kind of come out of the woodwork and they're all pumped. <laughs> like all of that kind of new crypto energy that happens every time you get a new one. That excitement, the communications around it, like everyone getting fired up on Twitter, like that drives attention for the nonprofits, which is really, really valuable. I know a lot of donors do like staying private. We have like anonymous giving options and stuff like that. Like those donors are awesome too. But like the donors who are kind of annoying about it, especially from these new tokens who just like won't stop talking about it. It's actually great for the nonprofit. It gets crypto people paying attention, helps them, you know, build up that revenue model. Yeah, more more buzz, more people paying attention, uh, the better, right? One of the things I always say uh, in crypto, I mean, a crypto lives and dies on its community, right? And you know, I've seen so many, uh, you know, communities turn against the founders and turn against the people and fork off, um, you know, build new chains and all that kind of stuff. And uh, at the end of the day, it's like, the blockchain's only as strong as you know the miners or the validators on the network, the people that are holding it and you know transacting on it. So um, you know, community is everything here, and uh, community is everything with the dollar or with the yen. You know, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. it's all it's all based on people. Um, so fascinating stuff. But you know, before we before we close out, there, there's a series of uh, kind of closing questions. We kind of like to run by every guest. Uh, just to get a little color, a little insight uh, into how you think about this space. But, you know, one one thing I always like to ask is like outside of your company, uh, what's one other company, maybe two other companies that you think are genuinely having the largest impact on our industry? Yeah, in, in crypto philanthropy specifically, because there's other folks like in our subset, or do you just mean in- Yeah, j- just in general, it could be as broad as, you know, a crypto exchange or a certain project that you think is, you know, doing something interesting, or it could be within your vertical. That's a, yeah, that's a great, in our vertical, I'm trying to think who, like there, there are companies that do like a really good job getting people into, um, like into crypto. Mm. I would say it's it's not like they're actively marketing it, but like every.org is like a cool nonprofit. They are like a completely free model. They're one of those classic, you know, tech company where, uh, you know, billionaires, rich people throw money into it. So they never have to have a revenue model. And usually like, I, I'm usually against those sorts of models because I feel like the, the tech stagnates, the nonprofits get attached to their solutions. And because there's no revenue model to keep innovating, it would be like, if every time you bought a computer, they were like hundred percent of the money goes into the computer you're buying. It's like, again, no one's getting paid to sit at a desk and like make the computers work better to like help the sector keep up. Totally. They're not that way. Like they do a really nice job. So they have like a very basic, um, free way for nonprofits to take crypto donations, like for, for one-offs when they're first getting their feet set. We get a lot of nonprofits who like get started there and then we'll like feed up into us when they're like trying to build a program and like trying to just drive in more revenue on that front. And that's like, called every, it super, it's called every.org. Every.org. Every um, if you have a, if you're working with a nonprofit and they're like very small, you know, like they're under 50 grand a year, under hundred grand a year and like their annual budget, like that's a great platform where it's just like, they really shouldn't, if they don't have like a mobile optimized website, you know, and a, and a strong social presence, you shouldn't be investing in like cutting edge tech. Then it's kind of like a lottery ticket. There's a lot of nonprofits who can kind of get their their feet set on crypto that like our model just can't support. One, because it's not a good use of their time to go as high level as us. And then two, like it wouldn't be sustainable for a team's time and energy. That's like a great feeder program that we've seen. And they, they do a nice job with the tech. They don't half-ass it. Like they really build stuff quickly and efficiently. 
Love that. So every.org, yeah. And I like their team. I think they're really thoughtful about everything, which is which is cool. And then like in crypto in general, God, that's a great question. Like who's doing the best job? I mean, FTX probably. Hey, like we've if, if you had to look across we've that answer yeah. a few times. Yeah, if you had to look across companies, like they're so aggressive, oh, which is so good. Do you know what I mean? Like they're building so quickly. I remember the the old stories from a few years back where like their team was seven people and they were just, you know, sleeping on beanbag chairs and just getting shit done. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just admire companies that are like that, that really get after it. I think people just expect innovation and mainstream adoption to occur, especially in like this, uh, you know, disintermediated, uh, no middlemen model of crypto. People think like <laughs> it'll naturally happen and we oh, forget about God. folks like that. Yeah who really get after it and are just like, I'm going to build an empire, you know? Yeah. And like those folks really, you know, getting to a Super Bowl ad in a few years, like they're just, yeah, I, I think SBF and, and their whole team is just incredibly impressive. Yeah. Um, Sam Bankman fried SBF, one of the, uh, the, I think maybe the richest 30 uh, year old in the world from, from last I heard. Um, and, you know, SBF has built that fantastic FTX company and there's not an, there's not an, inch of the ecosystem that they don't have their paws on, whether it's NFTs, whether it's yield farming, whether it's like, you know, making markets and futures for Bitcoin, whether it's like they're, they're everywhere. They're, they're bringing on derivatives, hopefully for, for Americans on FTX US. They just launched stock trading on FTX. Uh, Freaking, I saw Sam just bought uh, 8% of Robin Hood. It's just like the kid doesn't stop. He's testifying in front of Congress every other day, uh, trying to propose new legislation. It's just nuts. So that's a very good answer. I'm glad you said that. And, uh, you know, if, if anybody from FTX is listening, we'd love to bring you on the podcast. Uh, anyhow, <laughs> um, last, last question is just, you know, super, super easy one. But, you know, we, and the feedback we've gotten from our listeners is one of our favorite questions. But it it's just, you know, this is Crypto 101. A lot of times people are listening to this podcast and it's their first time listening to a crypto podcast. It's their first, um, you know, you know, month in crypto and they're Googling crypto and they're like, Oh, let's, let's do this. So, so what's one word of wisdom for, for a person like that? Something from a, from an OG like yourself to a brand new person, you know, <laughs> who probably is now just, you know, in the middle of this bear market feeling like what the heck is going on? Like kind of what's some word of wisdom. I don't know. Yeah. I wouldn't call myself an OG. I'm like right before that. It'd be like, if you were like 38 years old and trying to be like a, a street preacher, you know what I mean? You put a basketball <laughs> under your arm and you start like acting like an old head. Like, I don't think I'm far enough back there, but well, you're humble. A couple thi- yeah. No, I did. I'm just not. I also don't know nearly as much about crypto as my co-founder. Like he's just way, just a very linear thinker, just really plugged into everything. I'm much more kind of marketing and sales. But yeah, I mean, the with uh, like bear markets, if it's your first time riding out market volatility, there's a, a chart that I could send you that I actually made um, on Friday. I just looked up May 13th and I just went back year by year. And I go, if I bought a thousand bucks in Bitcoin on May 13th, one year, two year, three years ago, it's just like, what's it up today? Up or down, right? Because it's like, everyone goes, oh, the market's down 40% it's like crash or like Bitcoin's dead, you know, like Bitcoin obituaries, classic messaging. <laughs> if you go even two years back, it's up 300%. And then you back down from there and it's like 360%, you know, 2000%, you get to like 16,000, 20,000. Like you just start going back here and everyone's like, it's just all these green lit up things. There's the only year where it's down. If you just go back year by year, 
obviously there's volatility of fluctuations throughout that is just last year from last year, it's down 40%. So like mm. if you started buying crypto last year and you're riding that out, I would just say like, I bought most of my original crypto at $1,300 a unit and I lost harvested at 88. So like, that's like a, a between 90 and 95%, uh, <laughs> like price correction, which is like very different than the trader of the year award goes to Pat. <laughs> Yeah, the best. I was so good at trading crypto. I almost told everyone to throw all their money into. I started feeling bad because I was like, my money kept going up, my like 600 bucks, whatever. And I was like, if I don't tell everyone I'm being selfish. And I, I crashed right before that, thankfully, because I almost <laughs> lost all of my friends and family, all their money. Um, yeah, long-term lens, right? Like throwing money into crypto. If you're trying to like move into and out of crypto positions, unless you have a really good algorithm and... Uh, you probably don't if you're listening to this, like just <laughs> buying and holding and then like averaging in as like an investor are like two good general rules of thumb. Like it, it can't be direct investment advice. Depends on what you're buying. Crypto can be overvalued, undervalued. Maybe you shouldn't be putting money in it at all based on like your knowledge. But if you're buying crypto, it's like that's a great place to start in the same way that like index funds, 85 to 95% of the time outperform active traders. Like almost no one picks stocks correctly. And like moves into and out of positions in crypto, it's very similar. Like there are a handful of people who can, and oftentimes it's because they have so much money they can move markets. So I would just say like the market has done really, really well. It's the best performing asset class of the last decade, of the last five years. Even when it's down forty percent, that's still true. Averaging in and holding for the long term has tended to work out better for other people. And then like two, stop trying to teach everyone how crypto works. Like this is a big thing for like other crypto philanthropy folks who are in our area, try to get every nonprofit to fundamentally understand crypto. It's like, stop doing that. Cause like yeah. we, we always put a slide up where it's like Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, combustion engines, you know, refrigeration. It's like, does anyone in this room know how any of this works? Like, <laughs> it's like, no, it's like, what's happening in a microwave. It's like, you don't know, but it's like, you know how to interface with it and you understand the value. It's like, start there and back into it. Like your parents don't know that the Fed makes our money. Like when they put out polls, it's just like they, they think the dollar is still backed by gold. So when you're like in these deep conversations, trying to make sure everyone in the world fundamentally understands the technology, I would spend that energy on like making it easier to access crypto. I think if we want to get over the adoption curve, like the crypto intellectual side of things, where just like you're trying to prove to everyone how big your brain is, how much shit you know, and that they should be on that team with you, mm -hmm. has to kind of come to an end, which eventually it does. You know, yeah. early days of the internet, same thing. Everyone felt like they needed to understand it. And then eventually companies come in and they just disintermediate the whole thing or intermediate it, I guess, in that case. Yeah, no, that's, that's a very good uh, piece of advice. I think that that's something that, you know, you know, a lot of people kind of get stuck up on is, you know, they want to evangelize, but then they want to, you know, get into the nitty gritty and, and, and all the, you know, different logical components where at the end of the day, it's like, Hey, just stop, right. It's crypto is going to be here. Just help people understand from a high level and get them onboarded to the platforms that make it easiest to use. Um, and that's how we're going to kind of, you know, bring this from, you know, maybe call it a hundred to, to 300 million users, roughly wherever we're at now to, you know, billions down the line. Um, so I'm excited about that, but, uh, Pat, man, I can't thank you enough, man. This was, this was energetic. This was a ton of fun. And, uh, I hope we could bring you back on, uh, when there's some more developments or some exciting updates or anything. Yeah. You're doing an awesome job. I'm assuming you've been doing this for like forever because you're <laughs> excellent at it. I appreciate that. No, we've, uh, we've got maybe like 400 episodes under our belt now. And, uh, we love it, man. This is, this is our passion, right? Just in you know, the same way, 
that you're passionate about helping people, you know, uh, you know, get, you know, funds to the right charities. And, you know, we're excited about just educating people on crypto and bringing on the smartest minds to just, you know, tell all and, and give us their, you know, a little insight into their, uh, their passion and stuff. Um, so, Hey, just keep doing what you're doing and, uh, really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.